everybody, and welcome back to Sports Cuts with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelow. Well, it's week six of the 2017 NFL season, and it began with another entertaining finish last night as the red-hot Philadelphia Eagles hung on to defeat the Carolina Panthers 28-23 to move to 5-1 and one on the season. And to discuss this and the rest of the week six action, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend Hal Ben, who covers the New England Patriots for musketfire.com, cover32.com, and scout media to the program. What's up, Hal? Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing great today. I'm doing great as well. Uh, yes, uh, Major League Baseball is uh, kind of somewhat distracting a lot of us um, to a degree from the NFL, but it didn't last night. I watched the entire football game before catching the end of Game 5 of the NLDS between the Nationals and Cubs. Uh, but uh, as entertaining as these baseball playoffs are and are likely to continue to be, they will never distract me from the NFL. Football is king to me still. I agree as well. And and what a week it is. I mean, starting with Cam Newton, uh, with the female reporters, yeah, JJ Watt, Odell Beckham out for the year, the Dolphins offensive line coach getting dismissed, Adrian Peterson, Jerry Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, now Navarro Bowman. It's just, you know, the NFL has just taken over the news cycle again. Yeah, it's just a nonstop train that keeps uh, churning along. Uh, no matter what controversies there are, that uh, the NFL is just remains too powerful to be overtaken by external forces. And uh, before we talk about last night's game between the Panthers and Eagles, uh, what were your four big takeaways from the games in Week Five? So the games in Week Five, um, we'll start with the Patriots' defense almost looked good for 50 minutes. Um, the surprising New York Jets are tied for first place. That now that I've got my East Coast bias out of the way, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, with a decisive and stunning victory over Pittsburgh, was a huge game. And as always, Green Bay and Dallas, what an entertaining game. When those two teams get together, it is just excitement. Absolutely. And by the way, that Packers-Cowboys game that Hal was referring to that happened this past week, that was the most watched NFL game so far this season, and its viewership was the most on Sunday television with an astonishing 26 million viewers. So the so much talk about ratings declining. Uh, actually, it's an increase compared to where the NFL was at this time uh, last year. Yeah, lots of entertaining things. And uh, But now let's uh, focus on last night. It was a very, very entertaining game, as advertised, between the Eagles and Panthers, with the Philadelphia Eagles advancing to 5-1 and one on the season. And the Eagles, with that defensive front led by Fletcher Cox, they essentially made the difference in that game by forcing Cam Newton into awkward mistakes and awkward throws. And Carson Wentz just continuing to get better and better every single week, proving why the Eagles mortgaged their future to trade up and draft him uh, in 2016. Uh, so do you think it's time to climb aboard the Eagles hype train? I really think it is. I was very impressed. Uh, the defense, like you mentioned, was fantastic. Fletcher Cox, what a difference he makes in the lineup. But Carson Wentz, you know, the Eagles have a very good offensive line they were missing lane johnson which usually spells doom for the eagles and carson wentz took a ton of hits that's a great panthers you know front seven there even with keekley leaving due to injury and he hung in and he made plays that 
looked like a seasoned veteran, not a second-year starter with barely 20 starts to his name. So I'm all on the Eagles hype train right now. Yeah, and another thing to really like about the Eagles is that they haven't even played their best ball yet, in my opinion, because they're secondary. They expect to get Ronald Darby back from injury in a couple of weeks, and they are very excited about their rookie, Sidney Jones, from Washington. Sidney Jones would have been a first-round pick in this past spring's draft if it wasn't for an Achilles injury he suffered during his pro day workout. But Jones is expected to play at some point uh, this year, like around Thanksgiving is what I've, I've heard through the grapevine, but uh, um, that's to be determined. But but still, their secondary, which uh, is a little decimated right now, is expected to get healthier and better. And on offense, you've got um, Wentz can only get better. And plus, Lane Johnson's going to come back. And uh, they're running the ball almost as effectively as they're throwing the ball. It is a balanced offense. It's essential. It's a very similar offense that Andy Reid runs in Kansas City. And uh, Doug Peterson, obviously, coming from that Andy Reid tree. So, yes, I understand all everybody going gaga over the Chiefs. But those Philadelphia Eagles, they're kind of a similarly run team cut from the same cloth as those Kansas City Chiefs. So they're a, a super balanced team. It's complementary football to the nth degree. That's why I am a believer in this Eagles team as well. I am not ready to call them bona fide Super Bowl contenders yet, but I do think they will contend for that number one seed in the NFC. I agree. They're they're right up there. You know, there's still a lot of tough teams out there in the West, like we talked about. Green Bay is always strong. Dallas is going to push them in that co- in the um, NFC East, and and also the Redskins have been playing some great football. So a competitive NFC East is always exciting um, for the season, and and with three teams right there right now, uh, that should be a great season of football to watch. Oh, absolutely. And we got uh, 12 more Sundays, including this one. We still got a long way to go. And next Monday night, uh, well, not this Monday, a week from this coming Monday, the Monday night matchup will be in Philadelphia with the Eagles hosting the Redskins at Lincoln Financial Field. And I definitely can't wait to see that game uh, next week. But uh, let's go back to this week now, uh, continuing with this Eagles-Petters game. You mentioned Luke Keekley. Last night, Luke Keekley suffered his third concussion in third years. Yes, Luke Keekley has been one of the best, if not the best, at his position, maybe since he came into the league. Like when he first came into the league, he didn't even look like a rookie. His off the chart instincts and sideline to sideline speed, he was like the perfect storm waiting to happen. And he has set the league on fire with his amazing play since his rookie year. But this is his third concussion in third years, in, in three years. And a lot of people are saying that he maybe should consider walking away from football right now because of this. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's an individual decision for him. You know, the amount of money that's out there for these players to make is astronomical in terms of, you know, the average American. So for somebody to say, you know, I can walk away and leave X amount of millions of dollars on the table is a very difficult decision for anyone to make. And, and Keekly, a lot of it, I think, is going to be on this recovery time. As we know with concussions, the more serious concussions that are had, the longer the effects last. And so if he's out six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, you know, the rest of the season, then that's, you know, another step in that process, which is going to change how he looks at, do I come back? 
do I continue sticking my head in there and playing the brand of football I play where the concussion as a middle linebacker is, you know, it's almost impossible to not be accumulating them the way that the game is played. Completely agree. It's going to be a pretty tough, potentially a pretty tough decision of winning for Luke Keekley. But if he's feeling as good as the Panthers say he is right now by this time next week, then uh, we cannot expect Luke Keekley to walk away from football due to this uh, third concussion in three years. And moving on to Sunday's games, we start off with a battle in the NFC North between an amazing offense and an amazing defense as the Packers travel to U.S. Bank Stadium, site of Super Bowl 52, to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, we will get to the Packers offense versus the Vikings defense in a minute, but let's uh, flip sides for a minute. The Vikings offense is not going to have Sam Bradford, Stephon Diggs, and obviously Dalvin Cook this week. So without those three key players, what is the best thing for this Vikings offense to do in order to move the ball efficiently and score points against a Packers defense that's pretty suspect in many ways? Yeah, I I think a lot of the teams, when there's injuries, especially with top wide receivers and quarterbacks, get too conservative. And they say, well, the only way we can, you know, control the game is to run the football, try to keep the Packers off the field. And, you know, this is the NFL in the 21st century. You have to throw the ball. Let Case Keenum go out there. Let him. He's been playing fantastic football for the Vikings, stepping in for Sam Bradford. And let him keep throwing that football. Go out there. Try to match the Packers as best you can. And let your defense step up and, and get you some good field position if possible, as difficult as it is to generate turnovers against the Packers offense. Yes, and I still think the Vikings have enough firepower to uh, keep the Packers' defense on its heels. You could use Jarek McKinnon, as you saw him go ape against the Bears on Monday night, get get him the ball in space, he could take it to the house. Use Kyle Rudolph, he'll, he'll be uh, Case Keenum's security blanket over the middle. The Packers don't really have super covered linebackers that could cover tight ends well. And you and Adam Thielen, uh, people uh, often talk about Stephon Diggs, but Adam Thielen's no slouch either, man. Just uh, feed him the ball, uh, force him, force feed him all game long. I, I think that's uh, still more than enough tools for the Vikings to work with to get an efficient game on offense. I agree. I agree completely. I think, you know, let Case Keenum do what he needs to do. Completely agree. And now flipping roles for that for the matchup that's going to decide this game. Obviously, talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense against that Vikings defense, which is at the very least the top five overall unit in the NFL with studs on all three levels of the defense. And what specific matchup are you watching between the Green Bay offense and the Minnesota D? I want to see what Minnesota tries to do to stop running back Aaron Jones uh, receiving the ball out of the backfield. The Vikings, you know, are they going to commit a safety? Do they trust a linebacker to try to match up with Jones with his electric speed, agility, game-breaking ability that he's shown in the short time that he's been in the league and playing for the Packers? That's going to be a real interesting matchup to watch and could swing the game. Oh, it very well could because everybody knows that when Aaron Rodgers is a running game, that makes him even more dangerous, and he's plenty dangerous. So uh, so that will definitely be one thing to watch. But I definitely want to watch, uh, especially if David Bakhtiari is not still not ready to come back from that uh, hamstring injury, uh, 
how do the Packers neutralize Everson Griffin? Because Everson Griffin, yes, uh, Xavier Rhodes is a monster lockdown corner, might be playing better than any corner in football right now, but you could say the same about Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin is like playing at a level you would associate with Von Miller, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, those types of players right now. He is a He's turning into that game record that could change a game week in and week out. So if the Packers are down Bakhtiari um, and Aaron Rodgers given his propensity to like to move around the pocket, the athleticism of Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter coming off the edge, uh, that'll be uh, probably the matchup that decides this game to a large degree. What do you think? Oh, I agree. I mean, Everson Griffin is blossoming into, like you uh, mentioned, you know, he is a top five, maybe top three pass rusher at this point of the season. There's nobody putting up numbers like him. He's been almost completely unblockable. And like you said, you know, a, a regular starting tackle is having enough difficulty. You know, what are the Packers going to do to try to swing coverage, uh, swing blocking assignments to double team Griffin, to chip Griffin, to slow him down and give Rodgers time enough to pass will be an intriguing part of the game plan on Sunday. Absolutely. Green Bay might have to make a bit of sacrifices there in the game plan to make sure Everson Griffin does not disturb uh, Aaron Rodgers. Who do you have winning this game and why? I still think the Packers offense is going to score enough points against the Vikings. I kind of went back and forth on this one about four times, but I'm going to say the Packers take it 27-24. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very close game uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Vikings are a very... Packers have had their fair share of trouble with the Vikings in recent years under Mike Zimmer. But I, like you, I think those injuries the Vikings have on offense will prove to be a little too much for them to upset Aaron Rodgers and the Packers this time. I have the Packers winning 24 to 17. And moving on to a similar game, which pits a super offense against a super defense. Let's go to Duval, baby. Let's go to Jacksonville. With the Rams and Jaguars, and you mentioned that Jaguars defense and their amazing performance against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers at Heinz Field last week. Looking at the Jaguars defense, it's hard to find a weakness on this Jacksonville defense. Yes, some people point to their run game statistics, but I think those are a little inflated because of two unlucky bounces uh, they got against the New York Jets in that game with uh, that run where Bilal Powell, um, they thought he was touchdown, but he wasn't, and he took it to the house. And... uh, and that Elijah McGuire run. But outside of those two plays, I can't find a glaring weakness on this defense. If you can spot one, what is it, and how can the Rams exploit it? Well, the the biggest weakness on the Jaguars' defense is Blake Bortles. All those turnovers and, you know, three and outs is giving the opposition half a field instead of making them drive the whole field. When that Jaguars' offense is on and is able to control the field position, let them play with a lead, that is what... You know, the the Jaguars' defense is unstoppable. It's when they're coming from behind, when they're, you know, defending, you know, they're in the red zone to start the game. That's the only weakness that defense has. That secondary is legit. They've been getting pressure up front, and as long as they continue to get pressure with that front seven, it's almost impossible to move the ball on that defense. So if their offense can just get out of the way, they should be okay. Oh, God, yes. As Daniel Jeremiah uh, of NFL Network uh, tweeted out this week, he says that if the Jaguars had like Phillip Rivers at quarterback, you'd be talking about a team that wins at the very least 10 games. And I agree. 
Oh, I think if you said Geno Smith, I'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, grandfather football is still alive. The Broncos show you can win with defense and just an efficient offense in 2015. And the Jaguars essentially have copied uh, this formula um, with you have a quarterback that's limited, but a roster that's talented at every other position. And they're just playing old school football at its finest. And it's great to see, but it's going to be a little bit difficult for them to stick to that brand of football this week. Cause not only are they facing Aaron Donald, one of the two or three best uh game records on defense in the NFL. They're going to have to do it without their center, Brandon Linder, who has been a key part of their running game and the success of Leonard Fournette on the ground. So how does Brandon Linder being out change the game plan for the run-heavy Jaguars offense? Well, it, it really can't. They're just the only, their biggest weapon is going to be Fournette. They can't put the game in the hands of Blake Bortles. They, every time they've tried this season, you know, something has gone wrong. So if Bortles is able to, you know, get downfield with the ball a few times, that's just a bonus. But one way or another, um, you're not going to beat the Rams passing the ball. You're going to pound them as best you can with Leonard Fournette is going to have to run through some tackles. He most certainly is, but they're going to probably have to like a, a scheme and like run away from Donald, wherever Donald is run away from him. I believe that will be their game plan on offense. Like Blake Bortles, what did he attempt? Like only eight passes in the second half last week. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous, but Hey, it worked. Yes. And it's, and, and honestly, like I said, it's great to see this kind of old school football making a comeback uh, because it, uh, yes, even in the quarterback heavy league, uh, the Broncos proved it can work with a uh, Peyton Manning, although you did have his brain, but his body was completely washed in 2015. If the Broncos could do it in 2015, why can't this Jaguars team make a legitimate run at the playoffs and beyond this year? And this match between this Rams offense and Jaguars defense, uh, is, uh, going to be very amazing. And who do you think comes out on top in this contest? Well, I'm still picking the Jaguars. The, the Rams, you know, I, I don't see enough Sammy Watkins in the offense. Tight end Tyler Higby needs to be a bigger part of their game plan as well. And until they get those two players involved, they're just going to have too many problems scoring points. I have the Jaguars 24 to 20. I have the Jaguars 20 to 17. I believe uh, it's going to be a very close game, but I do not want to bet against this uh, Jaguars team with their newfound swagger at home. And now moving on to arguably the matchup of the week at Arrowhead Stadium, where the 5-0 Chiefs, the lone unbeaten team in the NFL, play host to a Pittsburgh Steelers team that is arguably in desperate need of a spark after their pretty much goose egg performance against that Jaguars defense at home last Sunday. And also um, with the uh, Chatter swirling around Ben Roethlisberger's postgame comments on maybe he doesn't have it anymore. And uh, that kind of like uh, brings a, a, a lot of uh, things to mind, including that Bill Parcells quote that people who consider retirement are already retired, so to speak. But uh, uh, but if the Steelers really want to make one f one final run with this core of players, they're going to have to get back on track this week. And uh, a good way for them to get back on track this week is in the run game because both the Chiefs and Steelers for that matter aren't the best at defending the run statistically speaking and do you see this being more of a lower scoring game than expected since I believe each offense will essentially try to keep the other offense off the field by essentially churning clock and pounding the ball 
Um, I don't think so. I still think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think the Chiefs are just, there's too many big plays that they've been making. That's driven their offense. Those big plays, those chunk yardage plays, the players that they have, the Tyreek Hills, you know, there's just too much opportunity to pick up too many yards and to go backwards and to go conservative doesn't seem like the proper game plan. I think the Chiefs are going to continue to keep airing it out and let Alex Smith uh, heave the ball like he's been doing. Yeah, I'm not I'm necessarily advertising or advising each team uh, to uh, be conservative here. I agree. With all the playmakers on both offenses, you have to utilize them. But given where the Chiefs are weak defensively and given the fact that the Steelers are very fragile against the run as well, I think it's in the Steelers' best difference to pound the rock with Le'Veon Bell all game long and keep the Chiefs' offense off the field for as long as they can. That's, I believe, their best chance to win the game. Um, what do you say? I think if they can, you know, the Steelers came in with one of the top offensive lines in the NFL, and they've been a little porous this season. So they've had a fits and starts where they've made space for Le'Veon Bell, and he's looked great, and they've had games where there's just no room for him to run. And if the best cutback runner in the NFL has no hole to cut back into, you know, that running game dries up in a hurry. So it a lot is riding on that individual battle in the trenches if the Steelers are going to be able to keep the ball out of the hands of that explosive Chiefs offense. And if the Steelers are unable to come away with the win at Arrowhead this week, do you think it's time for them to panic? I think they've been panicking a little. This this offense, you know, has so many weapons and it's been so out of sync so far this season that I'm sure a level of panic has crept in. And and part of that is Roethlisberger being so down on himself is a sign of that. And, you know, there was some sniping about the wide receivers earlier. Um, and then this week as well, when the media questioned him about his comments after the game last week, he kind of turned that around this us against them sort of mentality is why are you questioning this when he's the one who spoke the words? So... <laughs> I think there's there's a little bit of panic going on there. There's there's a little bit of vulnerability they feel, and how they respond this week going into Arrowhead is going to be a big swing game for the season, I think. It is. Uh, do you think the Steelers get back on track this week? Yes, I do. I, I think there's just so much talent there that eventually they're going to the big three, Ben, Antonio, Le'Veon are going to get their heads together, get the game rolling. It's almost impossible to pick against the only undefeated team in the NFL right now. It's almost impossible for anybody to go into Arrowhead in that environment in a primetime game and pull out a win. But if anybody could do it, I think it could be the Steelers. So I've got them winning 30 to 27 in the upset. I, I agree that the Steelers are going to give it all they have on Sunday. And for the most part, they will get that offense back on track. But I believe that this time Alex Smith will make the plays he should have made in the divisional playoff game against the Steelers in January of this year. And the Chiefs um, uh, make those plays this time around, and that'll be enough for the Chiefs to pull up the narrow 26-23 to victory. And now let's move on to our rapid-fire prediction segment where we go through the rest of these Week 6 games, starting with your New England Patriots traveling for a first-place battle with the New York Jets at MetLife. Who do you have? 
you know, I think a lot of people in the New England media and the fans have everything you've heard this week is, oh, it's the Jets. It's an easy win. It's an easy win. You know, this Jets team is young. They're aggressive. They fly around the field on both sides of the field. And sometimes these teams are in a situation where what they don't know helps them. And I think this is going to be a lot closer game than anyone thinks here. Um, You know, hard to pick against Tom Brady. I still have the Patriots winning it, but it's going to be close. I have it as 24-22 coming down to a field goal at the end. I think it's going to be close and competitive, but I have the Patriots pulling away in the end and winning 34-23. to The Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Who do you got? I'm picking the Bears on the road here. Trubisky really provided a spark last week. Um, you know, you wonder if they have enough talent around him. They didn't really get Tariq Cohen involved in the game last week. I think they'll make that correction this week. And the Ravens, I just don't trust that offense. So I have the Bears 17-14. Rookie quarterbacks have struggled mightily against John Harbaugh defenses, especially in Baltimore. I don't know what that stat is, but uh, you could uh, look it up on ESPN NFL Nation in their gay picks this week as Ravens uh, ESPN NFL Nation writer Jamison Hensley made note of that. Had Trubisky will be no exception to that rule. I have the Ravens winning 21-7 to in an ugly, ugly game. Uh, could be a shootout in the Superdome between the Lions and the Saints. Who do you got? Well, that's another one where I was going back and forth all week on that. I think that offensive line for Detroit is just not able to give enough time to Matthew Stafford. I have the Saints pulling it out 27-21. Uh, yes, they are missing Taylor Decker, but the Lions have had the Saints number in recent years at the Superdome. They've won in 2015 and in 2016 the Superdome, and I think they pull off the hat trick in a close high-scoring game because I think the Saints defense uh, got um, fortunate these past two weeks uh, going against uh, Cam Newton, not at full strength, and then against that dismal Dolphins offense with Jay Cutler. Uh, so I think more of the Sage Stevens from the first two weeks shows up, and that is enough to tip the scales to Matthew Stafford and company. But it's going to be very close. Uh, the Cleveland Browns and Kevin Hogan traveling to the Texans to face Deshaun Watson and his red-hot arm. Who do you got? Oh, you got to pick the Texans in this one. They've got Lamar Miller at running back starting to perk up a little Deshaun Watson's Got so much energy injected into this offense. Will Fuller's coming back up to full speed, and um, it's just too much for the Browns. I have the Texans 27 to 13. Yes, if I had to do a lock of the week, this would be it. Texans over the Browns 38-17, but it is shameful. The Texans have pretty much solved their offensive crisis, but losing J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless kills the potential for this season, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It, You know... Just losing Watt last year was was such a problem for that defense to overcome, and Merciless was a big reason that they were able to make that push and you know be a um, you know even give the Patriots a battle in the divisional round. But losing Merciless and Watt, that's tough right there. And and you know I still think the Texans should be able to pull out the AFC South, but. It really hurts them going forward and looking at them as a potential playoff team. 
It really does. And moving forward uh, in our Week 6 matchups, the Washington Redskins and Kirk Cousins host the team that may be Kirk Cousins' uh, suitors in free agency next year, the 49ers and former Redskins offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan coming to town. Who do you got here? Oh, I've got the Redskins. This should be a, a fairly easy win for them. Even without Josh Norman, I've got them winning 26-14. to 14. Yeah, I like the uh, Redskins, too. I think the 49ers, uh, they, they are much better than their record, actually, because they've been competitive in all the games, but they still quite don't have that uh, game-changing talent to get over the hump and win more of these games consistently. The Redskins win 31-23. to The Atlanta Falcons coming off by, they were pretty relieved to see the Eagles beat the Panthers last night, and with a win, the Falcons will slide into first place in the competitive NFC South, and they face the struggling Miami Dolphins and Jay Cutler, but a defense that's been playing very good. Who do you like? Yeah, that Dolphin defense, Rashad Jones at safety does not get the attention he deserves nationally. He is simply a fantastic defensive player who gets overlooked uh, with the rest of the bungling Dolphins defense around him. Um, I've got the Falcons in an easy win, 37-17. to 17. Just no faith in Jay Cutler right now. Yeah, same here, plus the Falcons get Vic Beasley back, they get right tackle Ryan Schrader back, and even Julio Jones operating maybe at 90%. Uh, the Falcons offense should be back on track with Ryan Schrader um, back at right tackle. As Matt Ryan will have more time to throw. That'll protect him from that talented Dolphins pass rush, and the Falcons will be able to win fairly easily, 27-13. to 13. The Buccaneers traveling to the desert to play the Cardinals. Who do you got? Oh, there's another fun one there. The Bucks have been underperforming a little this season. They've got a little extra rest this week. Um, I don't see Adrian Peterson saving the offense in Arizona. I've got the Bucks 24 to 16. I think this game is going to be a very high-scoring game since this Bucks uh, defense has struggled mightily to defend the pass. It either an aging Carson Palmer and aging Larry Fitzgerald should be able to feast, but it won't be enough because. Uh, <laughs> The uh, Buccaneers uh, have all those weapons out off that said, Sads Patrick Peters said this Cardinals secondary is a mess, and I definitely see the Buccaneers eking one out 31-28. to The Los Angeles Chargers getting their first win in Los Angeles since the 1960s this past week. They travel to whether Oakland or wherever to play the Raiders this week, depending on where that game is being held due to the um, uh, forest fires in the Northern California area. So that game could be played elsewhere, but still Chargers Raiders. Who do you got? Well, I think it's going to be interesting. The Chargers get rookie Mike Williams in for the first time this season. The Raiders, they need to find Amari Cooper. Where has he been this season? Um, Derek Carr coming back is just going to be too much. I have the Raiders 27 to 17 over the Chargers. Yeah, this is gonna. This is a very hard game to pick now that you mentioned it. But I just predicted the Chargers to win the AFC West at the beginning of the year, and even though I don't think they'll win the AFC West, I still think they have the potential to eke out a playoff spot because I think eight or nine wins can secure the fifth or sixth seeds in the AFC this year. I have the Chargers winning a close one, thirty to twenty-seven. You got the New York Giants who are becoming a colossal embarrassment on and off the field this year. Well, even more off than on, but you get the picture. Traveling to Denver to face the Broncos on Sunday night football. Who do you got? You know, this is just sad to see what happened to the Giants. You know, a, a team that looked like they rebuilt through free agency last year and to see 
you know, a dynamic player like Beckham out is just bad for the league all around. Um, easy game for the Broncos coming off a of bye week. Um, I have it at 20 to nothing, pitching a shutout. You could be right, but I kind of have a feeling that the New York Giants have enough firepower on defense against a suspect Broncos offense to force the Broncos off. It forced Trevor Simeon into mistakes. And um, it, I'm not saying they win, but I think it's going to be a much closer game than people anticipate. But the Broncos I have escaping by a score of 16 to 9. And on Monday Night Football, the Indianapolis Colts traveling to Music City to face the Titans in what should be a very interesting and pivotal AFC South battle between two, two and three teams. Who you got? Yeah, this is interesting. They're both two and three. The Texans are two and three in the South. Um, you know, Jacoby Brissett has looked like a solid quarterback holding down the fort for the Colts. You know, their defense is struggling a little. The Titans, you know, they've had trouble moving the ball without Marcus Mariota, but I think the Titans have just enough to pull out a, a close one. I have an 18 to 17 Titans over the Colts. Yeah, this game is very hard 